Hello and a very warm welcome to today's episode of Work Life Stories. I'm Anna Richards and I'm pleased to be joined today by Kaius Fernanda. Kaius is a Senior Vice President in Cities Global Clearing Business. He's also a passionate diversity and inclusion advocate serving on Cities London Pride Steering Committee as a business engagement lead. And he was named one of Stonewall UK's Changemakers of the Year for 2022. Chaos, congratulations for, for that accolade and, and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really pleased to, to be chatting to you about all that you do in this area. Let's start at the beginning, if that's okay. Please, can you tell me a bit about you and your background? I know you've worked at City for just over a decade now. I, do, I was at my previous firm for, for about the same length of time. It goes fast, doesn't it? Tell me a bit about yeah. your career and your background. Um, have you always wanted to work in banking? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can get into that. Thank you so much, Anna, for this opportunity to chat with you. Um, it's Pride Month, by the way. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation in Pride Month. It seems really appropriate to be to be talking about this uh, during this month of observation and, and celebration of, of our community. Um, so my background, I am, I'm from the Bahamas originally. And I was born there. I went to, excuse me, went to high school there and went to university in the US and had been working in, in various places, but decided that I wanted to pursue um, another direction for my life. And that was to pursue an MBA. And I wanted to do that in a place where I could be fully myself. I wanted to explore my identity as an openly gay man, which is something I hadn't done up to that point in my academic career, in my professional life. I'd always uh, lived very much a private life and, and as they say, very much closeted. So I uh, found an opportunity to come to, uh, to the UK, um, enrolled in a, in, a, in a business school program at Manchester Business School, which I really enjoyed. And during my MBA course, I was fortunate enough to find an internship at City in London. Up to that point, I had no strong aspirations to work for a bank. I had always been interested in economics and finance uh, and commerce and, and just the way the world of business worked um, over the course of my life, but had never aspired to be uh, a quote unquote banker. So when, when the opportunity came up, it was really interesting because it didn't come across as the stereotypical banker type role, but something that was very, uh, very much uh, looking at global trade, looking at how to support companies and what they want to do, very global sort of role, very international, lots of uh, different people from all over the world. So that, that really called to me and spoke to what I wanted to do. But, but those were sort of some of the, the real reasons why I ended up in, in the career that I'm in now, sort of by accident, but very much has been um, an, an interesting journey along the way. That's great that you felt that the, the bank was so diverse even back then, we talk a lot, you hear a lot about, you know, people bringing their whole selves to work and, you know, particularly mm. the pandemic, shining a light, I suppose, on people's personal lives in a way that they haven't in the past. Did you feel instantly comfortable and able to be yourself? You, you talked about being not openly gay until you started at City. Is that the right sort of time? Yeah. 
You know, it's it's a really interesting point because I hear a lot of people talk about this as they change careers and look for places to develop themselves professionally, that one of the things that they look for is whether this is going to be a place that supports my identity and allows me to to be myself. And that's very much the, you know, thinking back 10, 12 years now, that's very much the thought process I was having. You know, the next job I get, I'm going to be out <laughs> because... Yeah. It just felt like such an important thing for me to do. I spent so many years of my life having to be mindful of my language and whether I'd slipped and said something that kind of gave away who I really was. So I made it a point to bring that up at interviews. When I joined, even as an intern, when I joined City, I joined the uh, what we call the Pride Network in London, which is our uh, employee resource group focused on the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but my gosh, I was I was absolutely terrified. You know, I didn't well, know yeah. what I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant to be out at work. I just knew I wanted to give it a try. I wanted to see what um, resources were available to me and how I could be supported. But no, I didn't immediately feel at ease, if I'm totally honest, because there was there were just so many unknowns for me. Um, and again, you think about you know, 10, 12 years ago, it was still a very different time to, to what we find ourselves in today in terms of the conversations that are being had quite openly in the workplace. I mean, people would struggle to say the words black or gay in conversation, particularly with me at the time. And I've, I've noticed that's very much changed over the years um, because of some of the things you mentioned, a lot of the external events that have happened, um, you know, in wider society that have kind of influenced how people working in, in organizations go about their, their daily lives. But yeah, it, it certainly has been a progression over the years. It wasn't an instant um, utopia <laughs> yeah. at the time. And of course, not only did you make that brave decision to be honest and open back then and have continued to do so, but you've, you've taken a next step, which is to be an actual advocate for some of these issues and I'm sure yeah. a role model to to many who are probably starting out now or have done over the last decade what what made you want to to actively take part in some of these discussions and really um, help to drive some some progress what what made you feel so passionately about it you know it's one of those things that you look back in retrospect because when I joined uh, as I mentioned, the Pride Network all those years ago, I was really uh, on the fence, you know, sort of peripheral participant, if I can call myself that. I, I wasn't actively getting involved in events and uh, helping to organize and advocating and speaking out. I was just sort of dipping my toe in the water and not really being committed to this work. And I'm thankful that I had individuals in the group at the time who recognized that I had something to offer, I had something to say, I was a little bit unsteady on my feet, <laughs> so to speak, and they were relentless, you know, they really pulled me into to things, um, and not in, not in a way that felt jarring or confrontational or, you know, like I had an obligation to fulfill, but I think the way it was presented to me and framed for me was that it really would go such a long way to helping improve my mental health, my sense of self, my confidence, my ability to really 
sit at a table or walk into a room knowing who I was, what value I brought to the conversation and grounding that in my identity, a part of which is being a gay man. So having that become very obvious to me was um, one of the reasons why I started to get more involved and, and, and started to lean into it and enjoy it, you know, going to Pride events and, and listening to the people come and speak at, at City, you know, people who had gone through this journey themselves, people who looked like me or people who didn't look like me, um, really share quite openly in words that I could relate to what it, what it meant to live their lives fully out loud. And that was just incredibly inspirational to me. Um, and before I knew it, I was a member of the committee and you know, started to organize events and speaking at events. I remember the very first Pride in London parade that I marched at was such a mix of excitement and terror <laughs> because I mean, London is a huge city, right? And here I, here I am thinking like, gosh, is there going to be anybody in the crowd that knows me? I'm like, there's this crazy idea that somehow I would be um, at risk um, of being outed. But I mean, that was the whole point, right? Like putting myself out there. And um, yeah, it just, it absolutely changed my life. It, it really, really changed my outlook, my um, sense of self, and also my sense of, yeah, duty, I think, and obligation to to be that role model for someone um, that I didn't have when I was developing in my career. Uh, and of so many years that I wasted and, and so many opportunities that I missed to really um, take a full swing at opportunities because I was worried about how I might be perceived or whether my gay identity would somehow limit me from um, really contributing in the ways that I know I'm able to contribute. It's so great to hear you describe your experience in that way. And, and you know, granted, I'm, I'm straight and white and it's probably yeah. easier <laughs> for me in lots of ways. But the thought of being able to not, you know, I, I can imagine it being very limiting in my ability to perform professionally if I wasn't able to be... Mm myself so it's it's wonderful to hear chaos and 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 fast forwarding i suppose to your stonewall nomination you've obviously built this yeah. um you know a fantastic career and you've got all the accolades that have led to the stonewall nomination but in your sort of description around it you still described some feelings of imposter syndrome i mean of course we we all feel <laughs> you know vulnerable and lacking confidence every day um of course but what what made you feel that way in that particular instance do you think is it all the issues and 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 sort of feelings that surround this stuff it's very personal i suppose yeah i i think that i was still thinking of myself uh that guy who moved to the uk all those years ago yeah. Um, you know, a baby gay, so to speak. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I wasn't really out to anyone except my family and a handful of friends. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I've never been to a pride parade before that. I didn't know much about LGBTQ history, I, you know, all the incredible work that's happened over the decades. So I was still thinking of myself and not really acknowledging the progress that I had made and the contributions I'd made over the years um, here in London. Um, so I, I just thought, gosh, 
what have I done that's that's worthy of recognition? You know, um, you know that 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 sort of took me back to those early days of being uncertain about myself and wondering whether what I was saying, what I was doing, was right and and of value. So, yeah, it, and it. it it made me compare myself to to some of the other people who who were recognized as well. Some of the incredible leaders in this space, you know, I think of somebody like Bobby Picard, who uh, founded Trans in the City and is just such a huge activist and advocate. And when hearing Bobby speak and thinking, God, like the incredible things that she's had to witness, you know, and then looking at myself and thinking, you know, <laughs> have I been able to make the same kind of contribution um, brought up those feelings um, of, of imposter syndrome. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's where that came from in that moment. It's very true, isn't it? It does, does do that. It makes you compare yourself and, you know, that's a, a big sort of uh, danger we always have to, to avoid, particularly in the world of social media, everything feels very, yeah you know, public and, and comparable, but I, I hope it gave you a big boost as well. I'm sure it did. I'm conscious that as well as City's Pride Network, you're also part of the bank's Roots Network, which is um, for Black, Indigenous and people of colour. One of the terms that's um, talked about quite a lot these days is also intersectionality. And of course, you're, you've mm. got these two groups that you're, you're part of. What, what does intersectionality really mean for you? Is it you know acknowledging that people have different parts of their themselves and bringing all of those parts to um to work into the world and is there a danger do you think that companies look at some of the inclusion issues and backgrounds in isolation do you think and do they need to come together a bit more yeah gosh this is such this is such a passion uh topic of mine for the reason that you stated right i i I'm a black man. You can see that, you know, as soon as you meet me, <laughs> I guess the fact that I'm a gay man isn't as obvious, but I'm also an immigrant to this country. I'm someone who's who's had formal education. There's so many aspects of my identity that make me who I am, but that's the case for everybody. And to your point, the well-intentioned approach that organizations take to starting to address some of these issues around diversity is to establish and to support these groups that speak to one identity or the other. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a good reason because, you know, within those groups, we do relish the community. We do relish the relatability and being able to support, to support ourselves. But what it ultimately, I think, can do is to create this othering type of situation, um, which is exactly what we're trying to, to, to move away from. So that's why I think of intersectionality as Stepping back and recognizing the humanity in all of these experiences, because I, I was speaking with, with someone recently about this, a, a leader, uh, a very senior leader who was making the point around diversity and saying, hey, um, you know, we ought to be doing more uh, around this stuff. Um, and yeah, it doesn't have to be around, you know, the LGBT community. Um, and I, I laughed when he said that because like, I kind of sense a little bit of discomfort with, with the focus being on that because that was the nature of the conversation at the time. But one message I would like to get across to people is whether we're talking about someone being gay, lesbian, trans, queer, you know, is a term that we like to use nowadays, 
or someone being black or um, a woman or disabled um, or whatever it might be, to me, they all serve as entry points into a wider conversation and a wider recognition of creating cultures that allow people to thrive. That's really what it's all about. And intersectionality, I think, is a nice way to frame that conversation that we want to create, um, we want to create environments that allow people to thrive. If you would indulge me, there is an analogy that I absolutely love on this topic. And it, it explains why inclusion is so important um, as a part of this discussion alongside diversity. And the analogy goes like this. There was a guy who liked to fish and he wanted to encourage fishing with his young family, his boys. So he bought a home on the property, there was a pond and he decided he was going to populate this pond with some trout and some other fish, right? He was given advice by an expert to say, if you're gonna put these trout in this pond, make sure that you've got an oxygen tank to aerate it, make sure that you've got some logs so that they can hide when they need to, lots of other things. Um, and he, he took the advice and it went into one air and out the other. He didn't do it, right? He just put the, the trout and the other fish in this pond, hoping that at some point in the future, he could come back with his sons and fish. And he comes back to the pond, uh, you know, months later and finds that while he had populated this, this, this pond with trout and all sorts of other wonderful fish, they didn't survive. They, they died. They were attacked by other fish that were in the pond. Um, because he didn't create the environment that allowed them to thrive. That's what this is all about in my eyes, is not just bringing different people into an organization and saying that we are champions for diversity. That is great and that's important. But what's the cultural environment that allows those individuals to thrive, to want to stay, to want to develop their careers, to give their all to this organization? I think that's really what this conversation um, should should be about and what do you think what do you think that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis if I was a, a colleague or a manager or a leader within a business I know we've got fantastic policies I know we've got great you know inclusion groups and champions as you say what, what can yeah. I do on a day-to-day -day basis to be a good manager leader colleague for somebody who perhaps was slightly as we talked about earlier slightly holding back from being there their full sort of true selves at work. What are there any kind of just day-to-day -day yeah. suggestions that you can offer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you things that helped me for sure. I think reaching out to people and offering proactive support um, is super helpful. In the workplace, we find ourselves creating, you know, little barriers between human connection that stop us from asking questions or or offering support because we just don't want to offend. We don't want to make assumptions. We don't want someone to feel marginalized. And oftentimes that, that causes people to feel marginalized and alone and as though they don't belong. You know, there's this whole thing about, um, you know, I don't see race, right? People say that a lot because and it's, it's a well-intentioned um, thing to say, I don't, I don't see race, but people who identify with a certain race, think of that as sort of being made, made to be invisible, right? Rendered in, uh, invisible. So it's about reaching out and offering proactive support, but also being open about what you don't know. 
right? I mean, that's the other thing. People, no one wants to feel as though they, they don't know, they, they're saying the wrong thing, they're offending. Being open about that, I think, just really helps to foster the kind of relationship and rapport that allows um, support and allyship to take place, but also doing your homework, right? Reading, attending events, watching documentaries, you know, getting up to speed on things and speaking from a place of knowledge, right? Like going up to somebody and, and, and saying, hey, I want to help you. Um, tell me what it, you know, tell me what it means to be black <laughs> or to be gay or whatever, right? Um, it, 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 gets, it gets tiring, um, I think, for, for, for people to have to constantly educate and to be the one to, um, to provide that sort of uh, guidance when they themselves need the support, they need the, the environment to be sort of conducive and helpful. So I think, I think doing your homework um, to, to, help, to help yourself come armed with some knowledge um, and potentially with the ability to be empathetic because you've, you've, you've done some work. I think that's great advice, actually, because that's something I've certainly struggled with is the balance between dialogue and being honest about what you don't know and interested in ask, and asking questions, yeah. but also not asking something, feeling silly to ask a question. And you're absolutely right. Do your homework. And then you feel, you know, like with anything, you feel informed to start off. You're not expected to know everything. And, there's, you know, it's not a right or wrong half the time. Sorry to interrupt you, but just something I wanted to share. So, so obviously, I'm a part of the Pride Network at, at, at work. I'm, I'm a gay man and can talk a lot about what that experience is like. But I don't know much about what, it, what it's like to be trans. Um, and I found myself really pushing, pushing myself to watch documentaries speak to trans people, really understand what frames their experience and how they can be supported. Um, because, you know, the assumption is if you're gay, then you, you must understand all the other letters in the, <laughs> in the alphabet. But, but I don't, or I didn't at the time. And I think that, you know, that, that can be an example for other people that um, no one expects everyone to know everything, but, but really having a curiosity to see the humanity in, in someone else's experience, trying to find where you can relate to that, um, and then educating yourself around how you can help is, I think, hugely important and something that all of us can do, whether we are senior managers or someone's colleague or, or a parent or you know, a relative or a friend, you know, we can all take that approach, I think. That's fantastic advice, Case. Thank you. That's everything I wanted to ask you about. Is there any final points you wanted to make, Case, or are you? Do you feel you've chatted through everything you wanted to share today? Yeah, I like again. I just want to thank you. This has been such a fantastic opportunity to share with you. I'm so thrilled that your group is interested in the topic and that you reached out again. Right back to the point around being proactive. You know, I, I love that. I think that's exactly what is needed. Um, there are people who have stories and experiences to share. We want these platforms, we want to engage, and we also want to hear from others about how they see things and how they would like to support and, and what can be done to collaborate. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really encouraged by, by it all. I would say to, to anyone who's, who's a listener who can support employee groups in their places of work, please do so. 
they are hugely important. They have transformed my life. Um, there's no two ways about that. They need help, <laughs> they need money, they need people to um, help with the heavy lifting, to listen to them, but also to take them seriously, to incorporate their ideas um, into the running of organizations because it's just it's so incredibly important. Culture is important and these groups go a long way to improving the culture of an organization. So if you can support them, create them if they don't exist, and really try to embed them into the commercial day-to-day -day operations of, a, of an organization, I think you will see real um, value from that exercise. So that's the last thing I wanted to leave as a call to action. Thank you so much, KS. That's a really positive and practical note for us to finish our conversation on today. I really appreciate you joining me and taking the time to tell us all about you. I think our listeners will find it incredibly valuable. I know that I have. And thank you to our listeners as well. You can find out more about WorkLife Central at worklifecentral.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and now Instagram as well. And you can stay tuned for more from Work Life Stories coming soon. Goodbye.